Hey, football fans, this is Diana Rossini from The Athletic. Get the top stories in pro football snapped directly to your inbox with our latest NFL newsletter, Scoop City. Jacob Robinson and I will bring you the daily scoop of top NFL articles, posts, and podcasts every Monday to Friday. Sign up for free now at theathletic.com backslash scoop. That podcast growling, mean and angry. Hear those co-hosts shout him. It's Daner and Jay. All right, welcome to the latest edition here. That podcast growling by Daner Jay Morrison of the Athletic. Here at the Combine, barely, bringing, barely bringing everyone the true Combine experience today, Jay. Yes. Do you want to know what it feels like to be at the Combine? Come on in. Morning breakfast, <laughs> shaking off last night. You had breakfast? Oh, yeah. No. Yeah, you're right. I didn't. This <laughs> My new best friend. <laughs> coffee. <laughs> coffee in hand. Uh, the Combine is a great place for a number of reasons. Now, this is what happens, okay, is people... You're going to the combine. Who are you excited to watch run? <laughs> are you going to take in a lift? You know, let me tell you about the combine. The combine is how are you feeling in the morning? And how do you shake it off and crank out glorious content for the listeners to hear that podcast growling? This is our combine moment right here. This is our 40 yard dash, Jay. Well, then I feel like I'm going to run a 9-4. <laughs> Playing a little hurt today. Playing hurt. You, you got to play hurt, though. Yes. That's one thing about that's what the Bengals like. Yes. The Bengals like guys that practice and play through the pain. So we're going to do it. A late night uh, out. <laughs> you know, but that's what that it, it really is, though. And I, I we joke about it and laugh about it. It really is so much of what this is. Right. It's a social event for the league. It's a social event for every coach, for every scout, for every former player who has a, the most popular podcast in sports. <laughs> who we'll get to later. Yes. Uh, and a number of different things that you see and you talk to and you hear things and you find, you know. That's really what the combine is so much about. And so then you still have to do your jobs in the morning and everyone looks at each other and says, yeah, we did that. Um, and so that's why you end up with, hey, a lot of insight and a lot of information and yeah. a f better feelings on how things stand and where things are going. And we have that information for you. Yeah, I mean, it's coaches, scouts, agents that they they might tell you things they wouldn't tell you otherwise at over a beer at a late night at a bar but it's even not bad it's just about getting the FaceTime with them and and kind of viewing each I don't want to say equals because you always look at it that way but just kind of getting to know them better as people and relating to them more and and building those relationships you only get so much time around them during the season and over here uh, you could walk into any bar in Indianapolis and, and, and run into somebody that you would like to talk to who could tell you something that can help you do your job. Yeah, and the funny, what always cracks me up, you know, if you were a star-gazing ga fan of the NFL, oh, yeah. it's so weird because you'll be sitting having dinner, and, you know, you're sitting having dinner somewhere and there's a window and you look out the window, oh, there's, there's Ron Rivera. That happened last night? Yeah, oh, there's, uh, you know, there goes the number three, you know, there goes C.J. Stroud. Yeah. There goes, you know, it's just, but that's what it is. And everybody's here. Everyone is here. Yeah. Every, you know, well, not everyone. <laughs> you could have some of our fellow beat writers that wish their coaches were here or, yeah. or talking and aren't. But, uh, you know, every, everyone is here. And so it's just a great, it's just, a, you're right. It's a great chance to connect with everybody and just kind of see how everybody's doing. Like anybody would talk about, right? You know, when you we lean on people for, you know, and you guys hear it a lot when we talk to people in November, in January. Mm -hmm. And you do, you can do that because you're building the relationships in at the combine and in the summer uh, when you're not asking them for anything. It's nice to not have to ask them for anything yeah. right now. Although we did, <laughs> which is where we're going to go next. Uh, we did ask them for yes. things. And so we talked to Luana Rumo, we talked to Darren Simmons, we talked to Frank Pollock, uh, we talked to Brian Callahan yeah. all yesterday, on top of other people that we have, 
you know, talk to here just on the streets. But those were all in official meet the media capacities. So what we're going to do today is just kind of go through that. We're going to go through, we're going to, there's a lot. I mean, like we spent Wednesday for five hours with breaks in between, essentially, talking to everyone, talking to all of these people. And there's a lot there. There's a lot to unpack. We're just going to pick a few pieces. You talk, if you listened uh, two days ago, you heard us talk through some of the main components of the offseason through the eyes and mouths of Zach Taylor and Duke Tobin. So we touched on a lot there. Go back and listen to that episode. Great episode, by the way. Good job by us in our hotel rooms. Uh, we're here on Radio Row to go through some of the extras right now. And so we're just going to kind of pick it out piece by piece. A lot more for us to get into in the coming weeks. We will do that between now and the start of free agency. Um, so let's, let's start here. Let's start with, you know, we, we talked a lot of offense the other day. Yeah. We, we, because they're the story right now, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they are. They are the story about the contracts, about T. Higgins, about tight end, and we'll get to all the, a lot of that stuff. We, we didn't spend as much time on the defense. Mm-hmm. So let's start here. And to me, and the gauge you get, and, and we really, we, you know, if you know this team and you've gotten as you've talked to people, number one, this offseason really should focus on, okay, what are you going to do at safety? Right. Particularly, how aggressively are you going to go after Von Bell? Because if there's one thing that this team can't afford, that's to lose both Von Bell and Jesse Bates. We talked about, obviously, Jesse Bates gone. I mean, there's a pipe dream and a hope that somehow a market for this guy falls apart. That doesn't appear that anything that's going to happen I'm sure he would wistfully love to come back if the money was the same. The money will not be the same. No. So that's that. So Von Bell, you asked Luana Rumo specifically about the concept of losing both Von Bell and Jesse Bates, and here's what he had to say. Going through midway through last season, we were asking you about Dax and working him in. You talked mm-hmm. about how the, the communication and the double play analogy and all that was so important. Mm-hmm. If if you do lose both Jesse and Vaughn, how big of a hit would that be? Not just the talent, but the knowledge. Yeah, um, yeah, it would be it'd be huge. Again, uh, you know, leadership too. You know, so um, you know Vaughn and, and Jesse. That, you know, they, they do a lot of things that people don't see. Um, you know, they organize meetings on their own, you know. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'd rather not think about that dark day. It's a dark day, Jay. It would be a dark day. <laughs> I, I, and I appreciate that. I pre- anytime you get an honest, because there, there's so much, so many cliche answers they could lean on for something like that, where you, you saw, you, or you heard Duke do it quite a bit on, on Tuesday, where I can't predict, I don't know, we have to wait and see, and... And yeah, Lou has thought about this, and it would be a dark day. It would. I had it in my story today. Um, Jesse played ninety-eight point two percent of the snaps last year. Started all sixteen games. The only player that had played more was Von Bell. Ninety-eight point eight percent of the snaps started all sixteen games. Um, of course, the Buffalo game was canceled, so it wasn't. It wasn't a seventeen-game season like everybody else had. I mean, that's, that would be huge. You're talking about, if you lose both of those guys, then you're talking about Dax Hill, who played 100 and some snaps, and Tyson Anderson right now, who didn't play a single snap, was the fifth-round pick last year. Those would be slotted as your starting safeties if, if they were to lose both. And it, it's going to be interesting because you're right. I mean, it, it, it feels Jesse's going somewhere. And it's, it's probably, I would assume, going to happen early in free agency. Yep. And... Do they lock up Von Bell before that happens, before the, the legal tampering period? Because as soon as Jesse signs somewhere, Von's leverage goes way up. And, it, you know, you don't know if he's going to be a guy that's going to hold it over them and try to get more, but there's going to be interest from other teams, and he wants to be back. The Bengals want him back. It would be smart of them to, to get that done before Jesse even walks to wherever his new, next destination is. Yeah, you know... To me, Jay, though, I just don't know that that's realistic. These guys make it this far. They want to hear. They want to know. They want to weigh options. And Vaughn, now, here's the interesting thing about Vaughn, is that he's been through this. Yeah. He went through this with the Saints, and he came in here motivated and jaded. (laughs) 
because of the way that went down. Yeah. And really hurt by being let go by the Saints, not being valued the way he thought he should have been by the Saints. And you got to feel like there's a bit of a, you know, kind of a PTSD nature to how he's going to, you know, wanting to feel valued, mm-hmm. wanting to feel like the team still wants you at the level you feel like you should be, but also wanting to test the market. To me, though, the Bengals have preached. He's, he's the key case to what yes. we've talked about is, okay, it's fine. You heard on Tuesday, all, all in's not a thing. Build to sustain, we've talked about. You've read the piece that I wrote about that, their, their method of this is not going to be about outside free agents anymore. This is going to be about keeping this team together, yeah. keeping this continuity going. Well, then you know what that needs to be, what that tangibly is? It's Von Bell. It's Von Bell. Von Bell is the perfect example. Because you know what? He does make you a little more uncomfortable than you typically are. He's 28, but they, don't think they haven't signed 28-year-olds. But yeah. you're going to sign into a contract for two to three years. You're going to see him under contract into his age 30 season, something they've shied away from as they've rebuilt the roster. But he's a captain. He's 4.30 in the morning workout guy. He's cerebral center of your defense that Luana Romo does not want to think about the dark day. And that's why we picked that to pull out. Right. Because it would be cutting at the absolute center of what has made your defense so good. And let's not mince words here. The defense has carried this team mm-hmm. in so many ways to back-to-back Final Fours, to a Super Bowl, to an AFC Championship game. And losing both of the guys at the center of that would be a devastating blow. And honestly, an indictment on your let's keep it together, let's keep continuity be the key yeah. uh mantra and, and the other interesting piece is, well first of all you're right vaughn is a captain but i think what gets overlooked here is he was a captain that first year they signed him he had never been in yep. this locker room before he walks in and gets voted a captain that tells you right there where he stands in this locker room and it's it's going to be interesting because talking about you, they want to sign their own players and keep this keep the, the band together all that and we've seen this through our entire time covering the team, they put a value on a player, and they're not gonna they're not gonna go above that. If somebody else wants to pay them more, they say thanks for your service and let them go. I don't know that they can do that with Von Bell. I, I feel like they have to get out of their comfort zone. They have to do what they need to do to bring him back, and that that's what's going to be interesting about this. You're right. If he does, if they can't get it done before the start of free agency, and he wants to test the market. Um, I don't think he's going to get a crazy offer, but I think he's going to get offers that might make the Bengals front office a little uncomfortable. Well, here's, and here's the point to that. And something that the Bengals have been, I, I know, I know I've accused them of doing in the past is overvaluing their own players. Mm-hmm. I think the Bengals will put a value on Von Bell. I think the value to Von Bell for them in Greater. Cincinnati is substantially higher than he is anywhere else yeah. because of who he is in the locker room. Mm-hmm. Because of what he means to their defense, because of his relationship with Lou Anarumo and his teammates, makes him at a higher price bucket um, than he would be in Atlanta or any name yeah. place that needs a safety. And so that's why I think he stays, is that I do think his best offer will be from the Bengals because the Bengals will value him higher than anyone else. Last year... We talked about C.J. Uzama in this way, this light. We talked about his role as a centerpiece of the culture and the rebuild and importance. And they moved on from him and got Hayden Hurst, and they felt like they had enough leaders, and it wasn't going to hurt them as much. They still made a very aggressive run at C.J., but they weren't going to go out of their comfort zone. Will this be that? I think Vaughn's different than that. Yeah. I, I think Vaughn is different than CJ was. Um, as much as we thought CJ was a core part of the culture, look, the C on the chest matters around here. And it matters to the coaches. And, you know, that wasn't something that CJ had. He was sort of the juice guy. That's exactly, exactly. But he wasn't but he wasn't the C on the chest guy. Vaughn Bell is the four thirty AM C on the chest guy. 
Yeah. That matters. That plays here. Yeah. That's what I was going to say is I don't want to denigrate CJ and no. what he was, but he's not the same kind. Of, he was a great personality and he, he was that, that charismatic guy that you, that every locker room has. And, but he, you're right. He was, he never was a captain. He, and I don't know, it, he was a good player, but he, he wasn't a, you can't lose this kind of guy. There, there was never a thought that you can't let him walk. And that is the feel that you get with Von Bell that you, you just, he, he mean, and Lou talked about, cause I, you, you heard in the clip when I asked him about just experience and talent and he's like, don't forget leadership. That was one of the first things he said is that, you know, those guys, him and Jesse would, would hold their own meetings and really kind of took ownership of that defense or were an extension of Lou. And yeah, that's, it's just, they're, they're on different levels when it comes to being leaders and locker room guys. Yep. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. Do you like Formula One but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you. Introducing the Race F1 Briefing, the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying, or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search The Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. All right, so good piece there from Lou on the defense. Yeah. And, and to me, I think that's kind of a centerpiece of what happens. Offseason, again, we talked about Bates, Pratt, look to be gone. Um, I mean, things can change, markets can change, but right. if you're reading the tea leaves and how everybody kind of views it, it, it looks like they're going to be gone and you're moving on there, and they're happy. And, and I thought Lou, one of the things that he talked about yesterday, just it's something that we've been saying, I'm, I, I, I believe Akeem Davis Gaither is ready. I, I think that that room it can easily handle losing Jermaine Pratt. Not that they can replace him. There's a reason he was the starter and the guy. But I just thought you saw the flashes from ADG. You've even seen things. I mean, whenever we've seen injuries happen in that room over the last couple of years, we never we talk about it during the week, and then the game happens, and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, I guess I guess Joe Bocci had a good game. Like yeah. it was you never noticed. You never noticed the drop off. It's not a premium position. It's not something that you should be spending money on. It's just not. No. And that's okay. And when you get down to now, you're, you're, that's where you're at with this. When you start talking about what does the future when you're paying your quarterback look like, don't pay off the ball linebackers. Don't overpay safeties. Don't pay two of them. So you're letting Jesse go. You're letting Pratt go. You're focusing on premium positions. You're focusing on your leadership. You can't lose both. But so you see Pratt go, Akeem Davis Gaither, Marcus Bailey, these guys can fill in and take it. And Lou kind of sung their praises to the point where I felt like he was kind of saying to us, wink, wink. Yeah, I, 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 think, I think we'll be fine there. Yeah, and he, and he said all the right things about Jermaine. He loves him. He's a leader. He wants no him back. No question. And, and I, I agree. I, Jermaine's going to go somewhere, and, and I, he might play the best football of his life the next couple of years because he's, he's a guy that is, is still getting better. It seems like he's improved every year he's been here, and it's not about – what he can do, how, how good of a player he is. It's, it's about the fit and, the, and about the, the balance sheet. And you just, like you said, it's not a premium position. Uh, throw running back in there as well. We've, we've talked about where Joe Mixon stands. You, you just can't afford. And, and the, the, the question, what do they do with Logan Wilson? He's eligible for an extension. That's never really seemed like a high priority this offseason. It feels like they're going to let him play, bet on himself this year. Um, but and you go and you draft a, a linebacker, get a get another third, fourth round guy, and start developing him. And um, I agree. Even you know Clay Johnston is never going to be a starter in this league, but he's played well when he's been called upon. Um, and Bocce the same way. And, and Bocce, very good special teams player. He's a key part of of Darren's unit there too. So I yeah, it just the writing's on the wall there with Jermaine. And I hope he does. I hope he gets a, a great deal. Gets to go somewhere. Be a three-down linebacker. Prove to everybody what he's been tweeting about this entire <laughs> offseason. Um, but it, it's not going to be here. And I, I think the, the Bengals are okay with that. And uh, I, I think 
most fans are as well. I know when we did the sheet, um, a few people brought Jermaine back, but it wasn't an overwhelming. I, I think everybody understands where this franchise is with that position and with their, their cap space. So at the Combine, there's a lot of like late night half workshop theories that turn out, <laughs> right? Like you get, it's, it's, it's 1 a.m. You're at, you know, high velocity in the J-dub and people got theories. People got half-baked thoughts. We've all, you, you, we've all been in this place with your buddy. Like, hopefully it's not conspiracy theories, but, you know, things <laughs> that they think that they're not willing to say at 4 p.m., you're willing to say at 1 a.m. Here's my one from 1 a.m. that has kind of moved to 4 p.m. a little bit. My concern with Jermaine Pratt, this is true serum stuff. Okay. For me, for me, is I thought we saw Jermaine Pratt have a contract year jump. Mm -hmm. I thought we saw him go from three years of very good to, to even okay to very good to great. So you talk about him getting better every year. I thought we saw a contract year spike. Yeah, We saw a motivated by seeing the money spike, which is my, that is a red flag for me from a player standpoint. I worry about contract year spikes because then what happens once they get the money is it goes back down to the level they were at before that because the money's in the bag. Now, this is not me saying I know Jermaine is going to be that. This is my half-baked theory on what it looks like. We've, I, we cover this league long enough. You see contract year spikes happen all the time. And now tossing the tweets, the money I would have made, I should be a three-down linebacker. It's costing me cash. All that stuff. He, and he can be about the right stuff. And he can be a great player and potentially a great leader. And this is not me discounting that. I'm saying that felt like what we saw this year more mm -hmm. it, from my angle. And when you see that, it just so rarely, it happens, but it so rarely is, okay, this is my new level. It tends to be the peak of the career and then goes back down. That, to me, is my, con is my concern with Pratt and, and, and why I, I wouldn't do it. Um, I've not, that's not something that anybody with the team has told me. That's just my own personal feeling. Yeah, I, I don't – I mean, I get that point, but I, he just seems like a guy that's not, that not going to be affected by the money, and I don't know that you're going to see a dip. I – the, the one thing with Jermaine that I, I go back to that it's like it's, it's one of the most vivid memories I have of the entire season is after they beat Baltimore in the regular season to clinch, officially clinch, the division. And everybody's smoking cigars and partying, and, and the locker room is an incredible scene, and he's just sitting there by himself at his locker. No cigar, nobody around. I mean, he looked miserable. And, and I went over, and I talked to him, and it <laughs> – he, he just, I was like, well, you're not a cigar guy? And he said no. And um, it, it just didn't seem like he was enjoying it. Like he kind of knew his time here was coming to an end. And it's, we talk all the time about how connected this locker room is. And he just, I don't know, he just looked like an outsider there. And um, I, I think he is, is going to have something to prove. The, the signing the contract is not going to be his proof. It's going to be playing even better than he did this year and playing even more, being on the field all three downs. And time will tell. I hope I'm wrong. Yeah. Uh, but again, and maybe my theory belongs at 1 a.m. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I don't know. But that's, that's my theory. Let's, let's move on. Um, and I want to – let's talk about something that Brian Callahan talked about and I wrote about today. I have a story up on where is this thing going um, on the offensive line. We talked to Frank Pollock at length. A lot of, a lot of questions for Frank. How many ways can we word um, who's going to play a tackle for you guys? Like at all. You know, it's like how many different ways can we phrase this? We talked about this on Tuesday. We're talking about it again here uh, today because there's a little bit more insight from, you know, literally Duke told us on Tuesday – Go ask Zach and Frank about <laughs> yeah. that, which was a spidey sense thing for me. I, I, there, here's all before we play you a couple clips. Dots have not connected for me here the way they normally do. 
regarding, to me, the most important question of the offseason for them beyond the obvious of the Burrow contract, which I don't think is a question. Right. Um, is, is what are you going to how what happens next at tackle? What happens at right tackle? What do you do with Collins? What is Jonah definitely your guy? Um, and what's going to happen? There's just been a weird ambiguity that I don't know that we totally got to the bottom of mm. over this week that I which is which surprised me. Yeah. Normally you get here and people want to get you to the bottom of things. They want you to know how they feel. Yeah. Uh, particularly about players that they believe in. C.T. Higgins. C.T. Higgins. <laughs> they want to be adamant about it. They want to make jokes about it. Uh, and so we didn't get that at left tackle. No. And we knew there would be murkiness and ambiguity at right tackle. That's that. The situation is what it is there. Um. But how they've approached it is interesting. The one bit of clarity I thought we got came from Brian Callahan in regards to the idea of moving Jonah Williams from left to right. Everyone else, Frank Pollock, I'm not, he laughed. Yeah. I'm not wedded to anything. I don't like to say I'm wedded to anything. He's been in this league for four decades. Yeah. He's seen it all. You're never, and I agree, I don't, I get where he's coming from from that. But everybody else, we'll see. it was always couched with something. It was, well, we'll see who's with us then. Or if healthy. Right. Or it, there was always a but or an if regarding Jonah Williams. And that surprised me. Because he is under fully guaranteed 12.9. He's a solid enough left tackle. No one was singing his praises. And none, nobody has saying he's Joe Thomas. He's, he's Jonah Williams. He's fine. For one year as a left tackle, he's fine. But it was always followed with a, eh, I don't know. We'll, no standing up and saying, obviously, Jonah Williams should be our starter. I mean, Frank said, yeah, he's my starter if he's healthy. Mm -hmm. That's the closest we really got to it. Here is some talk about tackles. Lyle Collins and the right tackle situation being a concern. And obviously, Jonah Williams as well. Frank Pollock first. Brian Callahan second. How realistic is drafting a tackle, even in the first right, round where right. you guys are at, that could come in and play right away? Because that position's so hard. I mean, is that yeah. really asking a lot of anybody, you know, to come in and play right away at that position? Uh, I think it is. I think it's hard to do, no matter where you pick in the draft, especially at the back end of the draft. I think it's, yeah, so those kind of guys are going to go in the top five picks, top ten if you're lucky. Um, I've worked with some of those types of guys, and even then, it's they're they're coming in having to you know develop on something in their toolbox, if you will. So it's not that it can't be done. I mean, there's never said nothing can can be done. You can find a starter in the third day of the draft. It just depends on who that guy is, what's he what's he made up of, and and then uh, you know it's just, the, the draft's interesting. So we're we're obviously looking to find those guys at every pick. So. Obviously, Lyle, there's a question mark there with this injury. How, right. how comfortable do you feel with the other four spots and the guys at those spots? Uh, what could you phrase that? Yeah, how comfortable do you feel with Jonah at left tackle, right. Cordell at, at left guard, obviously Karras at center, and then Kappa at right guard? Right. Your starts, how comfortable do you feel with those four? Comfortable with all those guys. Uh, comfortable with LC when he's healthy sure. at the right tackle spot. Yeah. So, um, very comfortable with those guys. They, they improved throughout the course of the year. They really grew in what we were trying to do offensively and got a really good experience or understanding what those guys can and cannot do. So especially the new guys, um, real comfortable with them. Could you envision a scenario where Jonah moves to the right side? Just you know, based on free agency or draft, or you think he's entrenched kind of there? It'd be tough. I mean, he spent his whole career really, uh, especially as a pro, as a left tackle. Moving him um, would probably be pretty difficult. Uh, it's probably not something that he would be uh, necessarily excited about either. I'm sure he, as a team first guy, he would do it if that's what was best for us. But um, it's a hard switch to make uh, for a guy that's played a lot of snaps at left tackle over his career and very minimal at right. I know he did some at Alabama, but um, as far as a, as, as a pro, um, that's a pretty difficult switch. Okay, so I thought Brian, again, brought the clarity on the move to right, mm -hmm. which almost made me more confused, Jay. <laughs> if that's not the thing that has everybody being reticent, 12.9 million guaranteed for Jonah Williams. Where else is he going to go other than starter? It, I, I just 
that is to me the confusing element. The only the thing that I come away most confused by this week is what what is going on there that there's not more look and it could be hey they're saying if one of these top three tackles by some miracle slides to 28 they don't want to say that they said Jonah's their starter and then they're going to give a guy come chance to come in or they want to feel like they're still giving Jackson Carmen a real shot to believe that that could be his job that he could win I don't know but that there's there's to me there's something there's something there that has changed that. But I thought saying, look, move to right, Brian Callahan saying move to right is not something that they have any interest in doing. Was at least that was a good thing to hear. You, two things. It, it almost seemed like Jonah was a guy in Von Bell's situation, a guy that. They, uh, he's walking into his free agent year, and they don't want to praise praise him too much because they it's a negotiating tool. You know, you don't want to say, "Oh, we love this guy, we got to get him back." It, it, that's it. It was just weird because they drafted him to be the the left tackle for a decade, and yes, he hasn't been maybe what they expected, but the, the all the dancing around and the ifs and buts, it was just it was it was really weird. The one thing that, that going back over this in my mind, that maybe a hole that we all forgot to add, we talked, we asked them about moving to right. We never asked about kicking inside to guard. And maybe that's because they're set there with, with Volson and Kappa. But is, is that his future? Is that something they would consider? I don't know. They're talking about how Brian's saying that that's not in the plan to move him to right, how difficult that would be. I don't think it would be as hard to move a guy from – from tackle to guard. I don't know that that's in their plan. I'm not saying it is, but it's, it, it's always out there if, if you do go get someone. But then you're talking about you, you maybe you stunt Cordell Volson's development. He started every game last year as a rookie. They like what they have in him. They want to see him continue. I just – I, I agree with you 100%. It was, it was so weird. Um, that, that's not typically what you hear over here with your a guy that is at a – premium position like that that's been your starter for years and it was just I get that he's he's coming off surgery and he's not healthy but it was we've talked there there have been a few that have not been ringing endorsements for guys on this team yeah and and I think there's a thought of look he's fine yeah and having a left tackle that's fine is fine (laughs) for this team and the way that they're constructed it's okay no one is saying that they're going to be out here. And again, you're right. It could be a thing where like, look, we don't want to have to negotiate with Jonah having these words coming back in our face of how right. we talked good things about him. That, And that's, I don't think that's the case. I just think that, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. I think they want to leave themselves open. It felt like, you, you ever, you ever been at a family function and feel like someone's not telling you something. <laughs> and you're like, you're like, your cousin's like telling you something about, look, Aunt Joan, like she's, is there something I need to know about Aunt Joan? Like, why is no one telling me? Why is everyone dancing? Or why is no one just talking directly about Aunt Joan? Like, why, why do I feel like you're holding something for me? That's the only thing that felt about Joan. And I don't think it affects 2023. He's got to be in yeah. Cincinnati. I mean, is anybody trading for Jonah Williams at 12.9? I guess maybe. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't, it, to me, that the other plans that there could be don't make a lot of sense other than he's going to be here. Is this injury more serious than we think? Again, all of these are just hypothetical questions that you start asking yourself when you feel like you're not getting the direct information I need about Aunt Joan. <laughs> Someone tell me, what's going on? Is she going to rehab? Like, what's happening here? All right, let's just take a quick break. We didn't really talk about right tackle. We got all caught up in Jonah. Yeah. This is what happens at the Combine. You get off on a tangent about Aunt Joan and Jonah Williams. <laughs> and rehab. And rehab. And next thing you know, you forgot to talk about Lyle Collins. So, to me, I think I think it's the obvious. I think it, I think it landed where we thought it would. If Lyle Collins is healthy 
and comes back in it's August or July 27th, the day before camp starts. And you're like, mm-hmm. you know what? Collins looks good. He looks like Trey Hopkins when Trey Hopkins came off the ACL. And they're like, wow, what a rehab. He's back. He can play, right? It, maybe that's what happens. Maybe he, maybe he shows up and you're like, man, I don't know what got in the little Collins. He's motivated. He wants to take part in training camp. <laughs> he wants to practice he on Wednesday. He might want to practice on a Wednesday. Like, and, he's, and he looks healthy. He's big. He's physical. He's going to come back to what he was uh, before he came to Cincinnati, mm-hmm. the level he played at there. Because, look, you know, we went, we, I, I, I detailed this in my piece today. 53 qualifying tackles. Extract the first four weeks, right? So I'm, I'm going to say, I'm going to buy your messaging about the first four weeks. He needed to get his season legs, as Frank Pollock liked yes. to say. He was coming off the back injury, new scheme, all that stuff. So throw that out. I'm going to totally toss that out for you. We heard Brian Callahan use the word ascending about low Collins mm-hmm. during the season. The group was coming together, and they were. This is not – that was very – that was true. Throw that out. F- extracting week four out of 53 qualifying tackles in the league, he ranked 51st in pass block grade and true pass set grade. Okay? This was not a player – that was who you wanted him to be in that regard. What saved him was his ability run. to run blocks. Yes. They knew that was part of what he was, and they lost a hammer in the run game when he was out. You noticed that. Hmm. That said, I mean, this wasn't a guy that played the high level. So I, was, I think there's a realization of that, that they're open to whatever. Hmm. I think they're open to whatever can happen at right tackle. They're not going to make a move tomorrow on Lyle Collins because they want to see Right. In July, in August, what does he look like? Is he a guy that can still be the answer? And then you can make the move. There's no reason to make the move soon. Let his rehab go through, see what he looks like, and then they'll see what their options are. They already need to be thinking about the future at that position anyway. So I would expect them to address it. I expect there to be a draft pick. I expect there to be some kind of free agent piece in that room. Um and I expect Collins to be there in the background as an option in case he comes through. And if he doesn't, injury settlement in July or August or whatever. I mean, that <clears throat> Or pup or something like that even. Yeah. And, and that's exactly why when we did the adventure works, I did not cut him. You, you just can't move on from him this quickly. You, it, we heard him say it again. They always say it. And they said it again this week. There's just not enough tackle, not enough linemen, but especially tackles out there. And you've got a guy who's proven in this league, and he's not not great. And when he came here, that was kind of the, his reputation. Great in the run block, okay as a pass blocker. I just, you need to keep him around. That has to be an open competition this, this offseason, this training camp. Draft pick. Middling free agent. Jackson Carmen. It just let those guys fight it out and and see who wins it. And then even if even if Collins isn't gonna be your starter, that's not you're right, pup. Whatever it is, it's an expensive insurance policy, but I think it's one you need to have. You you need the depth there. You need to have him be an option and keep him around. There's just not an unless some they draft a guy in the first round and he comes in and he he looks all world, then maybe you feel a little more comfortable moving on from LC. But right now, the way things stand now, you need to keep that piece in your back pocket. So now, Jay, you've pissed me off. <laughs> because I just realized a piece that I cut out of my story Oh, from Duke. I cut it to short. I needed to shorten. It was, the story was too long. Okay. Too many quotes. And what I cut out was Duke Tobin saying this. No league has enough linemen. Yeah. The NFL doesn't have enough linemen. College football is pissed they don't have enough linemen. The XFL is pissed they don't have enough linemen. The Pee Wee League that he did not say this, I'm no, saying this. Yeah. <laughs> the Pee Wee League that you coach on Saturdays does not have enough linemen. No one does. So the idea of just letting one that could maybe happen down the line go and not be a poly- not be around is a mistake in their eyes. Mm-hmm. Wait until, as he, as he said, the last possible second yeah. you have to make that decision. And that might be the day of cut, final cuts 
where you, that money can hit you. That could be the day. Might be week know, eight. It, well, it could be the Tuesday before when all the money gets guaranteed yeah. for veterans. It could be whenever that is. You wait till the last possible second. We, this reminds me of the Carmen conversation that we had when it was like when he got his his butt kicked by Cordell Volson mm-hmm. in the guard competition. What is he even here for? It's been nothing but trouble. Mm-hmm. Everything that happened, all the conversation in the offseason. And why is he, why are you even holding on to this, guys? Because you never know. Because right. there's just not enough linemen. And what ended up happening? Buffalo. They needed him to play left tackle, and he played in Buffalo and in Kansas City. And we just heard every, the one thing that we did have unanimous mm-hmm. response on was people really liked what they saw from Jackson Carmen at yeah. tackle in those two games. They, it gave them renewed hope mm-hmm. about what he could offer to them going forward. He is a second-round pick. He's on a rookie contract. You have a third and a fourth year coming with him that he could be, be an answer if he matures and takes it in his own hands. At the very least, you know, I think the thought, what they're saying is it, it, he, his profile right now is an ideal backup. Yeah, He can play left tackle. He can move over to right tackle. He can play guard. That's what you think. Actually, I think he's maybe better fit to do. So you feel good about that. That's what we know about the offensive line situation right now. And the rest looks pretty set. Mm. I mean, the, the middle three, lots of confirmation on them. The tackles, I think, if right now, today, who's starting on opening day? I mean, it's Jonah left. And I, 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 don't, think we, I don't think the right tackle's on the roster. Or I don't. I, don't, I, think, I think it's um, Cam Fleming or Jermaine Illuminor or one, one of the guys around here. Or... Or one of the guys around. <laughs> I don't think it's one of the guys around here. No. I don't think they're... You know, you know what? We said it would be blasphemy to think that a draft pick that wasn't a first-round pick would be starting above, at guard last year. Mm-hmm. When, this time. And Volson came in as a fourth-rounder yeah. and won the job. So I'm not going to say no. Tackle's different to me, though. Yeah. It's just there's a different level that you need. Um, and so for me, I, I, I think there's probably a, a low free agent, a cap casualty free agent that we don't even know yet. There's, I think there's something else there that's your, that's your starter on opening day with other plans beyond that, whether it be a rookie or whether it be Collins getting healthy eventually or whatever, that's going to end up being your answer. All right, we got we to gotta get, we got to move. We, we, this is what happens to the combine. This is combine <laughs> in a nutshell, Jay. You sit down, you try to talk about one thing with one person, and next thing you know, it's 2.20 a.m., <laughs> Someone's buying you a shot. Someone, someone's, <laughs> someone says, hey, there's a Jägermeister machine. <laughs> right, Jay? Not that that would happen. Uh, let's make sure we get to these clips. Because we do want you to hear from people that yes. talk to us. Um, let's, let's quickly um, move over to tight ends. Here's Brian Callahan um, talking a little bit about Hayden Hurst and the tight end position as that now goes forward. How do you evaluate the tight end game, Brian, and, and what Hayden was able to give you in his first year? Yeah, uh, I thought Hayden really stepped up um, and provided us a ton of value. I didn't expect him to be probably as good as he was for us just because his tape was limited. We knew he had the capability of uh, being a highly productive player, but uh, weren't sure what, what it would look like for us. And uh, He came in and did a fantastic job uh, being able to, to create explosive plays. He was really tough and physical in the run game, which was you know what we weren't sure what we were going to get in that regard. I thought he really developed as a blocker. Um, his toughness was on display. His energy is on display. Uh, really enjoyed having, uh, getting to know him and having him. I expressed to him before we left how much uh, he meant to our team and the energy he provided. And, and hopefully we can find a way uh, to get the guys that we like back. Um, again, those aren't necessarily things I can control, but I know that he was a really valuable part of our offense um, and brought a dynamic uh, ability in the pass game that, you know, as you watch all the free agents out there and I watch his tape again, um, you know, he's a really, really good tight end and, and hopefully have a chance to, to bring him back. So there's Brian Callahan's. You know, I come away from this week and that this conversation less in on tight end being the mm-hmm. pick at 28. I, I, now, I think Hurst is going to have a lot to do with that. I, you heard him. I mean, there was, yeah. first of all, they, they say a lot of nice things about their guys here. Yeah. There's no reason not to. You're not going to have them bashing a player or whatever. But I thought that was legitimate and earnest and that they really were surprised. I mean, that we asked 
coaches all the time, were you surprised about something? No, they were never yeah. surprised. You know, I was surprised. Yeah. I didn't think Hurst was going to be that good. <laughs> he was good. Yeah. He, he improved as a blocker. He obviously brought you something in the past game. I think that there's going to be – they would like to – I'm still curious about his market, but if they sign him, I'm not going to say take tight end off the board at 28 at all, but I think it goes down way more than I thought it would if they, mm-hmm. if they are able to get Hurst back. I mean, you heard him talk about that, or it, it takes a while for these guys to develop and be what they need to be in this league. And the, the one thing that I thought was interesting, because we didn't ask specifically about him, but we didn't ask about Mitch Wilcox, and he brought him – Nobody ever said the name Drew Sample this no, week. No, not once. Not one time. His, and he's a guy that, good blocker, you can get him back very cheap. I mean, you know who he is? Mitch Wilcox. Yeah. He's a better Mitch Wilcox. Right. And it, I just thought that was odd that he his name never, even when you're specifically talking about the tight end position, I mean, he mentioned the two practice squad he guys. He mentioned Nick Bowers. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, I mean, so does that tell you something? Or are they, like, intentionally not saying him because they just want to – they're hoping nobody else will swoop in and get – I don't know. I, th- I thought that was odd, but I agree with you where I think the, the chances are pretty good that Hayden Hurst will be back. Whether he is or not, I, I, I felt the same way after talking to Brian that, that, that not that it's off the table, but it seems unlikely that that will be the direction they go in round one yeah. or two. And if, again, and again, not impossible. No. I mean, it certainly makes sense when you consider the – players the prospects that will be available the nature of this draft um and in in that there's there's so many guys where it's if you're drafting a tight end or a running back is the same conversation at 28 you're doing it because they are a unique perfect fit for what you want your Mm -hmm. offense to be next and and you're close you don't but i just feel like they have so many premium position long-term needs that they love to try to fill ahead of time whether we're talking about tackle whether we're talking about corner whether we're talking about you know, receiver uh, even um, that you're that they're going to want to address that to then take a tight end. To me, it's almost an all in move. It's it to me when we talk about all in in quotes, right? Go yeah. all in, Duke. Yeah. And Duke's like, no. <laughs> to me, their version of all in would be taking something like a tight end or a running back instead of thinking about the long term. Yeah. It would be taking somebody that helps you immediately in 2023. The problem with tight end is. This is a position that even the first rounders, A, don't have a huge impact mm-hmm. all the time. There's certainly no track record of that. And, and B, like, you know, it takes time for them to develop. They're not an immediate, there's maybe, maybe, maybe Michael Mayer is that guy. He's polished, shows up immediately and, can, and change the game for you. I don't know that you can count on that as much as you could say running back. If someone like, you know, B. John Robinson somehow came all the way down to 28 because yeah. no one wanted to take a running back or whatever. To me, running back, you know, is an immediate impact. It is a drafting for this year and saying, screw the long-term, all-in type of move. Tight end, I think, still is a hedge because you're still, you know, don't know that they're going to have an immediate impact. We talked about punter Mm -hmm. the other day, so I don't know that I want to go more into this. Um, But we will bring you Brian talking about Drew Chrisman and that play a little bit, and we'll touch on it. Here is, is, uh, or excuse me, Darren. It's been a long. <laughs> hey, I made it this far without having a major, a major gaffe. So I'll I'll take it. Uh, Darren Simmons talking about uh, Drew Chrisman and his I don't know bleak future in Cincinnati. So Zach said yesterday that the plan is to bring in competition for Drew. When he went back and looked at his season, what was your review of his season this year for you guys? Well, I, I think that he got thrust into a, a role to play right away. Um, you know, after not playing for a couple of years, after uh, you know not playing his first year out of college, I thought he came in and was solid to start with. Um, I, I think the uh, the level of consistency has got to keep improving. Um, I, I do believe that we'll bring in competition for that spot. I don't think that spot's completely settled in my mind yet. Um, but all in all, I, I thought that uh, he did a good job in, in certain situations, getting the ball down the field. Um, I can point to a couple punts. You know, he had, he had a really big one in the uh, uh, New England game. Um, he had a big one in the Tampa game. He had several good punts at, at opportune times. Where I think there was one in the Baltimore game, maybe two. There was an important one there late. Um, but but I, I still think that uh, we want to try to improve our team. And if that means Drew's a part of it, then he's going to have to win the job again. What happened on the uh, final punt in uh, Kansas City? What do you kind of just make of that play with the way it went down? 
Well, I mean, uh, you know, unfortunately we got stuck in a lot of spots uh, in that Kansas City game where they were in fourth and longs, you know, where, where they could double vices. We haven't faced a whole lot of, of double vice where both of our gunners were doubled. Um, we didn't get off the line of scrimmage great. We, we had a couple guys uh, um, that uh, were out of their field lanes, frankly. I don't think the punt was the, the exactly the punt we were looking for. It was more down the middle of the field and it was lower um, than what we really wanted. And we just didn't do a good job of covering it up. We didn't we didn't stay in our lanes. It's, it's difficult with the the, the uh, maybe the height of the punt. It's difficult for us to defeat blocks fast enough to, to, to get back over the top and get in the proper leverage positions. We did a poor job of that, and it cost us big time. So there's Darren Simmons. A little bit more on the Christmas situation. Look, whether it's a draft pick, whether it's some veteran, whether it's an undrafted free agent, uh, there's going to be another punter in camp. He's going to have a pretty good chance to win. And look, that punt in the AFC Championship game was Darren Simmons' worst nightmare. He talked about it all year, his concern, why he kept Huber in the first place, why he was apprehensive to make the move, was in a big spot. You worry about someone kicking a low-hang-time rocket right down the middle of the field. Mm. Huber, for all that he was, for the misses, for not having enough distance anymore yeah. for nope was look you still know you're probably not going to get the rocket right down the middle and it hurt i mean it hurt him you know mm-hmm. it, it it hurt him and and i think you when you feel that burnt by a player that you gave a chance to in that spot it's that's a hard one to ever get out of your mind when you start making decisions in the draft and in free agency or whenever, or on cut down day, about where to go in that. It's just a really hard thing to get over, and I don't think they're going to get over it. No, and, and you kind of, it wasn't a one-off. It, it, it felt like Darren's fear, you could almost see it coming, because it, it happened in New England. If you remember, who it was uh, the Jets punted, and, and Marcus uh, who, Jones, the the, the the guy for New England ran it back uh, at the very like last play of the game to win the game, and Drew Christmas punting to him on Christmas Eve in New England and did not. It was supposed to be to the sideline, and he didn't get it there. And I, I remember Darren's quote: "He said he told him you're effing lucky because yeah. I mean you don't want that guy. You don't want to give these guys a chance to return, and especially in a spot like that. And yes, you you knew with Huber it it may not have gone as far." but it was going to be where it needed to be. If that punt's 10 yards shorter, but it's on the sideline, that return doesn't happen. Maybe the, the uh, field goal to, to win the game doesn't happen, and they go to overtime, and who knows. Uh, but it, it's got to be. I can't imagine Darren getting over this anytime soon because it was his, that was his key move of the season, and it, it came back to bite him in a bad way. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, I was even going to talk about this in Arby's as we wrap up here, but, you know, I just he's amongst a number of coaches on the Bengals that one this season's so long mm-hmm. it feels like we were just in Kansas City yeah. and I think they feel like they were still just recovering from they're still recovering from mm-hmm. Kansas City I think it's still very raw for a lot of them now I think it was easier for Brian and Lou yeah. because they had to so quickly move into this next level of their careers and we didn't really talk about that here but I mean they 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 discussed you wrote about I mean they discussed um the jobs that they tried for and and that but for the rest of them that had to kind of live in it for the last month it's still there yeah how close they were and they still are feeling it um you know I asked Devin Duke about that about how that we heard the all-in quote from the other day about how much the just raw emotions of being so close and not getting there affects your opinion on stuff. Because I think it has affected and changed people in some ways on this staff. You, it can't. It can't not. When you're that close and you're smelling it and you feel like, God, this team can do it and they need to do it. You just, these windows are not long. Mm-hmm. There's like, unless, unless, Joe, unless Joe Burrow is literally Tom Brady, not literally, I hate myself. <laughs> I hate myself. Jay, kick me out of here. I need to leave. I can't believe I just said literally. Unless Joe Burrow is figuratively <laughs> Tom Brady, these windows don't last 20 years. Nope. They last four. Look at the, I mean, the, 
Bills, Four Falls of Buffalo. You don't want to be four. You don't want a documentary about Four Falls no. of Cincinnati no. happening. The even the Cowboys dynasty where they won, it was four or five years long, and then they haven't sniffed anything since. These things now, the, maybe the Chiefs are your hope. Look what Mahomes did. Maybe it's going to be Burrow versus Mahomes for a decade and a half. That's the hope, right? <laughs> Good luck, right? Why ain't it, why it, maybe it's going to be Mahomes versus Burrow slash Allen slash Lawrence slash Tua or slash whoever this entire AFC maybe it's it's like a Royal Rumble of Mahomes versus the world every year. Yeah. You don't know how long it's going to be you, and I think they feel that. I thought they felt it. Uh, let's let's before we have people are gathering around us because <laughs> there's a show coming on after us here on Radio Row, but. Um, Arby's for you. There's so many stories. Oh, yeah. There's so many stories that you could tell. Let's just, let's crank off in a couple Arby's real quick. So, so last night we're at the bar at, uh, what? Yeah, we were. Were um, we? <laughs> <laughs> the, I love it's the bar because we yeah. went to the same, we we've been to the same bar three, three nights, nights in a row. In a row. It's a good, good, good move for you. Uh, Lock Millers. If anybody's in, in India, you want to check it Don't out. Don't spill a, the secret, Jay. <laughs> edit that out, Cam. Edit that. <laughs> so, so behind the bartender, there's a, a like a bar- the top of a barrel, and it's a chalkboard, and they have today's poll. And I guess they do this every day. And it said, other than quarterback, what is the most important offensive position? And then anybody that orders a drink and wants to weigh in, and they 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 mark it down. <laughs> Leading by a long shot was center. And I joked. I said. Oh, what was Jason Kelsey's crew in here? And he's like, yeah, he's right over there. <laughs> and, and he was there, and he came over and talked to us. I, I was I was in the bathroom, and I came back, and there he, you guys are. He's holding court with you guys, so I guess there must have been some com, some conversation about Cincinnati. Yeah, go Bearcats so, was yelled, and so it was just it was cool. He was he was he was talking to everybody. He was very friendly. Uh, he was in a good mood as well. And um, I'm not going to give away any secrets, but it was. We got some insight on what to expect on Saturday Night Live when his brother Travis hosts on Saturday night. Jay and I now have a bet. Well, now, this was before he came over. Yeah. Jay and I have a bet that I, can, that I bullied you into, I think. <laughs> Five you don't to have one. to bully me into betting. Five to one. Five to one odds mm-hmm. that Aftab Purival will show up. Yes. On Saturday Night Live in person or or in a Zoom, but his actual self doing something, trying to make himself feel cool and recenter his image that is has lost him an election. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be <laughs> an actor, someone dressed up as Aftab. I'm but. thinking, I think, I think they call Aftab, and Aftab <laughs> is the type because he doesn't have anybody around him that can tell him, "Hey, don't do this, stop doing this." That he's going to actually do it and show up on Saturday Night Live somehow, trying to save himself. I'm saying five to one, Aftab shows up on Saturday Night Live. Uh, but yeah, I, I think Jason Kelsey clearly. Yeah gonna be in yes. attendance yes i've seen it and I'm a, I'm a big snl fan i'm a big snl fan i've seen enough monologues to know yeah. how this goes you you put someone who's connected to them in the audience yeah. to help you out that's that's all that, i'm saying that's what i thought i thought during the monologue travis will say who let that jabroni in and they'll pan yeah. and aft tab will just be <laughs> sitting in the audience <laughs> hoping that people know who he is <laughs> uh mine is this and we'll i'll do this real quick and we'll get out of here is from last night as well is so are we people that listen to us know we we are good friends uh with james rapine over at locked on <laughs> bangles his wife emily they have reached they had a baby the day after the buffalo Bengals game uh that she was induced they had their first kid so uh, uh quinn is a beautiful oh yeah beautiful infant infant girl <laughs> yes a <Six> tiny <laughs> baby a tiny baby and they were out and we were meeting them for dinner last night and uh he says, okay, I'll meet you, and we were going to go to Kilroy's. Now, at the comma, Kilroy's is one of these places where it's like, look, it's, it's, there's a lot of dudes in there mm. getting real drunk, and it's crowded and sweaty and out of control. And I was like, really? Okay, whatever. And so I said, all right, well, I'll meet you there. And then he texts me, okay, we're not, gonna, we're not going to Kilroy's. Meet me at this other place. So I mean, And we go, and there's the baby in the little, like, bassinet, the stroller or whatever, <laughs> sitting there sleeping, looking at me with its little cute little pink bow on. And they're like, yeah, uh, the bouncer said, dude, you can't have a baby in here. Like, you trying to bring your baby into Kilroy's? I'm like, can I, 
I just wish there was video of the bouncer's face yeah, when know. you tried to get a baby into Kilroy's. <laughs> please, please, I just want there to be video of that. So, but a baby was allowed into into social cantina. It was delightful. They had a, there were two they, babies in there. There was two babies. In there. <laughs> Killer playlist. Uh, but I just I love the idea. Anybody that's familiar with a place like Kilroy's knows how ridiculous it is trying to get a baby in there. Shout out to James and Emily for giving it a real shot, though. And uh, Quinn for being the first bar she ever gets kicked out yeah. of. I'm sure one of many. All right. That wraps us up here uh, from the combine. We'll have more, of course, next week. Uh, diving into more. We're going to full free agency mode going forward as the Bengals head into the new league year. Um, not going to be as exciting as it was the last two. However, <laughs> uh, it will still be free agency, and we'll be covering it for you from top to bottom. All right. Uh, from the combat. We did it, Jay. We did it. We made it. We did it. We made it, and we pulled it off. Uh, so shout out to Coffee and uh, everybody here uh, at Radio Row. I'm out of here, Jay. You're sticking around for a few more days because, of course, concert. You have a concert. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Have a good one, everybody.